Thanks for joining us at Mountainside Anywhere. We're praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you through his word. We trust that in seeing him, you will be moved to take your next step in loving God and loving others. If there's any way we can serve you, please reach out through mountainside.online. Morning, everyone. Wow. Excited crowd this morning. Last night, the Saturday night crowd was a little quiet. And Pastor Lyle was like, Sunday morning is going to be electric. So here we go. So uh, welcome everyone, everyone that's in the room, welcome to everyone that's online watching, and welcome to everyone in the overflow. You guys out there? Yeah. <laughs> Got some electricity out there too. Sweet. Cool. All right, so we're going to talk this morning. We're, we're in a series right now um, in the book of Mark, and we're just going to pause that series just for this week and maybe further as the Lord wills. Um, to talk about church and what church is and really an attitude of, of church, which I think is maybe a great reminder for us, maybe a, a great reset as we go into um, the holidays, which are coming up real fast. How many days till Christmas? No one knows, no one cares. <laughs> Kids, how many days till Christmas? No one knows, no one cares. All right, we should get a countdown going up here, Lyle. Can we get that before the service is over? Okay, no. Lyle said no. So it was, it was July. I'm sorry. Could we? Um, now I'm clicking through songs. Um, could we get back to? Uh, we, there's. Could we go to the beginning of? Could you get me to the beginning? Okay, I'm gonna click down. And there it is. Yeah, we're gonna have a sermon this morning. Whoo! So it was 1961. Anyone alive in 1961? Okay. All right, we got a few. Bob, great. Bob, how, how old were you in 1961? He's a mathematician. He should know this. 10 or 11? All right. Carla, is that accurate? Yeah, pretty close. So it was 1961, and the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp because... The previous season ended with a heartbreaking defeat as the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Eagles. Oh, got some bird fans. Yeah. The Packers were devastated. Oh, Packer fans too. Eagles fans over here, Packers fans over here. By design, that's great. So the Packers were devastated, and they were thinking about this loss the whole offseason. All these guys were thinking about what they were going to do, how they're going to win it, how they're going to advance their game. And like they're like, man, we were so close. We're just going to take it up just a couple extra notches, and we were like so close, and like we're going to be able to do it. And their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a uh, different idea when he walked into training camp. When Coach Lombardi walked into training camp, he started with the most elemental of statements that you could make to professional football players. He started training camp with this. Gentlemen, this is a football. Football. 
pretty remarkable, huh? I mean, he's coaching guys that this is all they've known like most of their life. And he starts with that. Interesting that Coach Lombardi, who knew they were a touchdown or so away from winning the greatest prize in sports, believed if we don't understand the basics, if we don't understand the fundamentals, if we don't understand what tackling is, if we don't understand what routes are, if we don't understand teamwork, like Coach Wooden used to preach all the time, if we don't understand these things, then why are we even here doing what we're doing? So he starts with the basics. And it's almost like philosophically, he built these guys up from the ground floor. The result, six months later, the Packers beat the Giants 37-0 to to win the NFL championship. Starting with, this is a football. Now I wonder for us if we can take some lessons from that. Because I think not just in church, but in a lot of areas of life, reminding ourselves, okay, this is not just how we are doing things, but this is why. So important. And interesting, as you look at the, the book of the Bible that details the history of the early church, the book of Acts, Luke was so intentional to make sure that we now, 2,000 years later, would have a clear record of not just how, but why. Great lessons for us to learn. The fundamentals, the basics. So turning your Bibles to Acts 2. Your paper copy or your electronic copy, I want you to see it, so you got to open something. And I'm going to be looking. So open something your paper copy or your electronic copy, Acts 2, and we'll be in verse 42, Acts 2.42. And could we stand together as we read the word? Acts 2.42 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had any need. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Day by day, day by day, those numbers were being added. Some pretty interesting things were happening in that early church. Luke wraps up that little section there with day by day, those who are being saved. But look up at verse 41. And those who received his word were baptized. So this is all in the context of the Pentecost sermon that Peter gave in Acts 2. And, and 
and uh, fulfilling the prophecy of Joel 2, and so many people are trusting Christ. Verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and about that day, 3,000 souls were added. I mean, it was just an incredible time. So much was happening. So much was, was going on, and I think as you look at this passage, you can see, um, and there's the text on the screen, you can see in verse 42, many Bible teachers and commentators would really um, point out the importance of verse 42 as far as like church culture and, and DNA of church, and appropriately so, because I think verse 42, some have called verse 42, we find the four pillars of church where you see teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. And I think maybe appropriately, some have said these are like the four pillars of what local church is. And appropriately so, I think, because these are important things. Teaching, um, teaching from the scriptures is paramount to what we do here. It's it's the impetus behind so much of what we do. It's like as time marches on and as people become less and less enamored with the Lord, the drift away from Scripture becomes more and more. And we have to make sure that we are tethered not just to great ideas or man's solutions or interesting church philosophies or Oprah-isms. We have to make sure that we are tethered to God's words not just on Sunday morning, but in everything we do and in all of our ministries here at Mountainside, the basis for it has to be the scriptures. So important. But just as important, God would say, based on Acts 42, is 242, is, is fellowship. Fellowship, it's the opposite of isolation. It's Christians purposely engaging in gospel-based community. Fellowship is something that we're doing here. Sunday mornings, absolutely. We do a little bit of after the service. But really, for a church, much of this is fulfilled post-Sunday and should be. The fellowship should just be just such an intricate part of, of what we're doing here in communion. We celebrated this last week, communion, where we pause and we look back on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and we participate that until he comes and then maybe the one that um, is maybe the most neglected, maybe in our personal lives, but also in the Western church, prayer, which nothing is possible without it. That doesn't preach real well. We don't necessarily want to hear that. But, boy, if we, if we only knew maybe what God was looking to do, if we really took prayer seriously, wow. Anyways, got to keep moving here. All right, the clock's ticking. So you got the four pillars. But I think interesting, the teaching, the fellowship, the communion, and the prayer. I want to share with you something that is just as important as the four pillars, See, the early church believers went about these activities of the four pillars, absolutely, and they were focused on them. But how they did it was just as important. 
And how they did it was in a spirit of devotion, awe, generosity, togetherness, and joy and praise. Not just the actions, but the attitude contributed to the explosive impact. Both equally important. So sometimes it can be really easy as little legalists, which we all are, to pull out those four pillars and check off those four boxes and have the idea that there we just did church. And not so much. Not so much. Because we can sit under teaching but not grow in our passion for God. We can hang out together but never grow in our accountability or care. We can share in communion once a month but never share anything else. We can pray but rarely the presence of joy or praise. So I think it would be incorrect to say that as long as you have the four pillars in a church, you can expect the types of things that you see in Acts 2. No. The four pillars plus the five attitudes contributes to something significant. In fact, some of Jesus's and Paul's, for that matter, harshest criticisms were for very religious people that were doing things like teaching and praying and fellowshipping and having communion together. Many of these people were just religious people just checking boxes, but to quote the Lord, their hearts were far from God. So don't be deceived, church, into thinking that just because you are executing a ministry strategy that you're going to see revival break out in the Adirondacks. Not so much. Coupled with the attitudes that God wants us to have, look out. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about these five attitudes that a Christ-honoring church should have. Let's talk about the first one, devotion. So if you're writing down notes, if you're taking notes, write that down. Devotion to their Savior. Where do we see that in the text? Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. Easy sometimes as you're just kind of plowing through verses to just kind of bypass really important words like devotion. Just like this clear devotion. Devotion is a common New Testament word that indicates a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. Luke uses it elsewhere in Acts to indicate resoluteness, resolve towards the commands of Christ. Devotion to Jesus has to fuel the why behind everything we do. It's interesting, the state of the Western church today. Boy, the Western church has really figured out programs. The Western church has really figured out how to organize events. In some situations, maybe not Mountainside, maybe they're the exception. But a lot of churches, they've really figured out how to become a country club. Just going through the motions and showing up for activities and doing stuff that you got to do, 
just kind of going through the routine, making sure I'm at church because I kind of got to be at church. You know, I work for an organization that kind of requires me to be at church for some of you. So I just kind of kind of do it. You know, when I think of that, I just think of a church in Revelation 2. And I think of the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, where Jesus said this, where he's giving a report card in 90 AD to an Ephesian church that in 60 AD was commended for their love. And in 90 AD, 30 years later, Jesus gives a report card. And this is what he says. To the angel of the church at Ephesus writes, These things says he who walks the seven stars in his right hand, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Church at Ephesus, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles or not. You have found them. Ephesian church, to be liars. You've persevered. You have patience. You've labored for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. Pretty awesome report card so far. A pluses all the way down. What does Jesus say in verse 4? Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Wow. Wow. If Jesus were to come on a mountainside this morning, if he was an invited guest and stood up here and gave a report card to mountainside, what would he say? He'd probably say some really good things like, wow, you know, the women's ministry is just really growing and the, the guys thing that's going on Monday nights, you know, guys are coming out and lives are being changed. You know, some teens are making some really important decisions for the Lord And, you know, you're thinking about ways to reach out into the community. But what Jesus said to Mountainside, but you've left your first love. You've left the reason why you're even supposed to be doing these things in the first place. What's the prescription? Jesus tells us in verse 5, remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In other words, it's a reminder in your devotion to Christ to get out of the mechanics and remind yourself, why am I even doing this in the first place? Why am I even in church? Why am I even in ministry? Why am I even communicating the gospel to people? It's not because... Someone told me to do it or because I feel like I've got to fulfill some legalistic obligations. It's because of my passion for Christ. It should fuel it. Man, sometimes as a guy in full-time ministry, I need that reminder. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's for Jesus. Great reminders for all of us. In other words, keep fresh in your mind your gospel story. Keep the truth of the gospel story right in front of you. Don't wander from it. Remind yourself of the day that you trusted Christ. The glorious day that it was. Attitudes in a church, very important. 
Believers in a Christ-honoring church have devotion to their Savior, but they have awe at what God is doing. Where do we see that? Look at your Bibles. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe came upon every soul. Why was that? Because in the early church, God was doing some pretty cool stuff. People were being healed. Demons were being cast out. Some really unusual things were going on that were like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. And it can be tempting for us because we have to have an attitude of awe in the church. It can be tempting for us to look at a passage like Acts 2 and say, ah, remember the good old days of when things were so cool in God's work? Oh, yeah, the good old days 2,000 years ago of when it was like, oh, wow, so awesome, so cool. Yeah, really? We can sometimes have that mentality. I can. Did you know that every day as the word is opened in this church, in our ministries, and the resurrected Christ is proclaimed, God moves and works every day, which should create a sense of awe. You know, sometimes we just want to get caught up in the sensational, like 500 people came to Christ here and... 300 people came to Christ here, but what about the awe of just this one person that just gets saved? Like, the, um, the amazing thing that that is. It's just, it's awe. It's like, wow, another miracle happened in front of me. Check this out. Did you know in the last four weeks of this church, in the last four weeks, God provided the funds to pay the bills and some in this church? That's awesome. We shared the truth of Christ and his word with kids and students in our ministries. That's awesome. God was working in some pretty amazing ways in our midweek studies. Marriages were growing, growing closer to each other and to Jesus. The word was being faithfully proclaimed. God was working in all of these situations. And not to like sound spooky because I'm not that guy. But even right now, the Holy Spirit is working his way throughout this room. Convicting, moving, changing. Right in this moment. That's awesome. We can faithfully, boldly proclaim God is working at Mountainside Bible Chapel. That's awesome. That's a cool thing to be participating in. So, Maybe sometimes we've got to just stop looking for the big things. Look for all the ways you see the Holy Spirit working. Man, that's, that's a motivating, encouraging way to go about life. Just to recognize the awesome ways, big or little, that you see God working. But uh, I, I stepped on some toes last night in the Saturday night service. Did any of you come back this morning to hear me speak again? Did anyone come back? Just two Bible Institute students. That's all right. That's okay. It's because I stepped on all the toes. So um, to see God working, to see God working requires you to be in a position where you can see God working. 
So getting secondhand working, it'd be like, um, it'd be like you're a big football fan and like, um, <laughs> it's like the Super Bowl happens and like you're in the kitchen when the game is on and a big play happens. What do you want to run and do? Go back, rewind, so that I can participate in the play that happens. Because hearing it secondhand or hearing it from another room, yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, everyone got excited, but I wasn't there experiencing it. Those of you that are not participating because of your service and the ministries here at Mountainside, you're on the sidelines, not on the field, participating in what God is doing. You're just hearing it secondhand. You're like in the kitchen. It's like when you're like an adult leader of little kids, anyone leading little kids in kids ministry here at the church? No one. Oh, okay, a few. Thank you. Appreciate that. So we have a few workers here that are working with kids. Anyone working with teenagers? Got a few people working with teens. You know, when you're in those situations and you're opening God's word and you're proclaiming truth and you see right in front of you the Holy Spirit work and the lights turn on and you see that for yourself, it stirs your heart. It creates awe at what God is doing. Believers in a Christ-honoring church, devotion to their Savior, awe at what God is doing. Generous. Generosity with what God has entrusted. Where do we see that in the text? Verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Boy, the early church was a generous church. Generous, completely voluntary, giving towards the needs of believers. Interesting Maybe a little bit of trivia, but maybe not so much. Just they were selling their possessions and belongings, two different Greek words there, that, that mean probably property and stuff. Property and stuff. Meaning, hey, if we got it and we can help, it's yours. This was the early church. This was the early church. It's like, if I've got something that can help God's program move forward, let's use it. Man, that's pretty awesome. The point was is that they had an attitude of giving. Generosity saturated the early church. Very generous church. What they had was God's. Now, sometimes when you're talking about finances in church, it can get a little uh, excited. You know, maybe you've been to a business meeting at some point in your life where when finances came up, it's like every other item of business in the business meeting was like everyone's like half asleep. You start talking about finances, whoa, 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 pastor's getting how much? What, what's, what's, what's going on here? Everyone kind of perks up and it just becomes like, you know, challenging because we're talking about finances and my finances, my stuff, and, and how much of my stuff you want. Um, can I share with you maybe a bit of a scriptural pivot? 
It's not yours. <laughs> we think it's ours. It's not. Psalm 24, 1 and 2 says, it's all God's. It's all his. That takes some pressure off of you. It's not yours anyways. It's not yours anyways. Now, you got to be a wise steward with what God's entrusted to you. You don't just, you know, use it foolishly. you got to use it wisely. But all your cash, all your savings, all your investments, all your house or houses, it's all his. And you don't take it with you. And when you stand at the Bema seat, at the evaluation seat of Christ, where he evaluates you in your life, where there is no condemnation for sin because that was paid for on the cross, but when he evaluates your life and the stewardship of your life, you will give an account for your stewardship. Not just your money, but your life. We all will. We'll give an account. Would stinginess and consumerism be hallmarks of the Western church today? Stinginess and consumerism? I mean, the reality is this. You always make happen the things you want to see happen in your life. You want to see it happen? You're going to make it happen. You want to spend eight hours a day watching some new series on Disney Plus? You'll find a way to make it happen, huh? Eh? Anyone binge watch anything recently? Everyone's scared to put up their hands. It's like, no, no, no. I never have been watched anything in my life. You know, we're just terrified. No, if we, have, we have been watched some things, okay? So, but when it comes to like my time, when it comes to my money, the things that I really want to do, you'll find a way. And the blessings that God has given to you related to how what you've got that can help this church move forward, if you really want to help, you'd find a way. Jim Elliott said this decades ago. America's condemnation is written on their bank books and the dust on their Bible covers. Would that be the condemnation of us? Hopefully not. Boy, God loves a cheerful giver, right? God loves a cheerful giver. He wants every person in here, regardless of your financial circumstances, to be giving to his work with joy. Hey, kids that are in the crowd, you should be giving to God's work with joy. Teens, you should be giving to God's work with joy. College students, if you're taking in the word, you should be giving to God's work with joy. Participating in all that God is doing. Believers in a Christ-honoring church, devotion, awe, generosity, togetherness. Togetherness. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together. Verse 46. Day by day attending the temple together. There were no lone rangers. They were all together. 
This is more than believers just hanging out. This is an attitude of, of care and togetherness based on the truths of Scripture, based on the reality of the gospel. So, absolutely, God's plan is for believers to be out in the world, to get out into the world and share the gospel, but not at the peril of togetherness. Not at the peril of togetherness. We saw some really interesting lessons during COVID relating to togetherness. And trust me, as I was a pastor in the thick of it. It was a challenging time to be in church leadership at that time. Boy, was it ever. You could not please anyone. Any decision you made infuriated half your congregation. It was, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. Where do you wear the mask? Where don't you wear the mask? Where do you sit? Where don't you sit? I mean, I just think in a lot of that, Satan just had a heyday. Maybe just testing the waters for what was coming to see how will Christians react. Which doesn't mean stupidity. Which doesn't mean you just don't take care of people that are around you. It doesn't mean that. But it also means you don't abandon what the scripture tells you to do. Which is continue to be together and find ways to do it. I mean like in our church back in New Jersey, we're still waiting for people to come back from COVID. Togetherness is so important because the reality is this, the world is becoming more and more hostile to Christ. I mean, the hostility factor, even in the news today, like the hostility factor towards Christianity just seems to be skyrocketing. And I can just envision a time in the very near future here where we're going to need each other now more than ever. We will have to stick together in ways that maybe we haven't had to before. Fellow believer, dangerous things happen in your life spiritually when you remove yourself from the fellowship of of other believers. Absolutely, Sunday morning, making sure that you're here and participating like Hebrews 10 says you should be. But, you know, on a Sunday morning, you can only go so deep. You know, you can have maybe a level two, level three conversation here and there. The real depth is happening during the week. And during the week, if you really want to go to a depth in your togetherness, that's when things are happening. One of the fastest ways to see a spiritual decline in your life is to separate yourself from Christian fellowship. Because the one anothering that the New Testament says over and over and over and over and over, the one anothering happens when two people are together sharpening each other. And it's life on life. And we're engaging in life with each other together. Christian fellowship is so important to spiritual growth. Parents, can I just chat with you real quick? Parents. Parents of little kids, um, parents of kids that are like fourth grade through sixth grade, can I just speak to you just for a second about the importance of making sure that your kids are getting into their regular patterns, Christian fellowship, and that that becomes a lifestyle of family life, Christian fellowship, and it's important to us as a family that we are involved in outside of Sunday Christian fellowship, fellowship, 
so important. When Rachel and I were um, in ministry in New Jersey at our church, um, it, it was sometimes heartbreaking when parents would come to us, parents of teens, saying things like, my child is walking away from the faith. We knew there wasn't a lot of emphasis and effort to make sure that that kid was involved in Christian fellowship during pivotal, important, foundational years of their life. Church was not important, not just Sunday morning, but during the week. It just wasn't important. It wasn't on the radar. Christian fellowship was not something that was ingrained and integrated into family life. And when the time came for important decisions to be made, you've got kids walking away from the faith. Maybe that's because sometimes in the Western church, families are prioritizing everything but church. Better believe I'm going to make sure my kid's in soccer. You better believe my kid's going to be playing baseball. You better believe I'm going to make sure my kid is at every practice, but to make sure they're at a midweek activity for church, eh, negotiable. It's a problem. Togetherness has to be a part of just family life. We're a part of what God is doing in the church. Believers in a Christ-honoring church, devotion, awe, generosity, togetherness, joy and praise. Joy and praise. Look at verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with what? Glad and generous hearts. Glad, excited. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Joy, praise, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. These things are a fruit of the Spirit. It was like what God was doing inside them as a church. It's like all the things that they were just seeing God do and all the ways that they were just in awe of what God was doing, and they were just so devoted to their faith in Christ, and they were together doing all these things together. It was like all these things were like stirring up inside of them. It had to go somewhere, and it came out in joy. It was just like, wow, isn't it awesome to see what God is doing? And I would submit to you that when you have devotion to your Savior, all what God is doing generosity with what God has entrusted to you, and togetherness with the people that God has put around you, joy and praise will always be the result, always, always, always. Which doesn't mean there is an absence of tough times and difficulty. It just means that because your soul is anchored in Christ, you have just a completely different worldview. Just a completely different worldview. So let me ask you, Devotion to your Savior. All what God is doing. Generosity with what is happening here at the church. An attitude of togetherness and making sure that's happening. The outlet of joy and praise. A couple things by way of application here. All right, so as we prayed at the start of the service... We've, we prayed for you, and we specifically asked the Lord that as the word is opened, 
that there will be life change. We would love to see that prayer answered in these next moments. Let's talk about action steps. When it comes to devotion, how do you need to rekindle your devotion to Christ? Maybe your quiet time is just a little too quiet. And you got to incorporate some worship into that. Just some outright hand-raising devotion. Something I got to grow in. All what God is doing. Are you involved in what God is doing here at Mountainside? Are you on the sidelines or are you on, or are you on the field? Generosity. Are you contributing to the needs of Mountainside? Sacrificially? With joy. Togetherness. Are you involved in Mountainside community beyond Sunday morning? Let me ask you this question. Aside from Saturday night or Sunday morning, what evidence during the week points to your togetherness? Joy and praise. Is your life, as a result of these things, overflowing with the joy of the Lord? So, if we as a church took the four pillars and the five attitudes and meshed them, what would happen? Now, don't have the erroneous view, don't have the incorrect view that, oh yeah, I... I just really hope that mountainside, that mountainside church, I hope they do those five things. I hope that church, hope the church does it. Uh, I don't want to like, you know, totally break up your view here, but you are the church. If this is going to happen, if this is going to happen at mountainside, not the person to your left or to your right, you have to do this. If this is going to happen on mountainside, you're going to have to do it. You ready to do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Pick one that you got to work on. Because we all got to work on all five. Absolutely. And doing all five at once might be a little overwhelming. So just pick one. What would be one of those that you would say, eh, that's, that's one that I probably need the most growth in. Which one? Which one would it be? The one that you need the most growth in. What would that be? Okay, now that you got it, what's going to be your plan this week to do something about it? Don't just hear it, do it. What's going to be your plan this week to do something about it? What are you going to do? Maybe just make a little note to yourself tomorrow when you're doing your quiet time that you think about one of these five things that you're going to incorporate in order to make our mountainside more effective for Christ in our community. Because mountainside family, can I just tell you straight up? We collectively get the four pillars and these five attitudes right. We will see God do, do something tremendous here in the Adirondacks. We really will. I really believe that. 
Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to make their way back up here. Let's bow our heads. And uh, don't start thinking about football or lunch. Take just a moment. And I really want you to have just a quick moment between you and the Lord. Just a quick moment between you and the Lord. What would be your takeaway that maybe the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now? What would be your takeaway of what we talked about this morning from Acts 2? What's your takeaway? Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank you that you're so gracious to us. You're so willing to help us. You love us so much in wanting us to become like you. You're so patient with us. We know, Lord, you want us to grow. We know, Lord, that you, wanted, you want us, Lord, to take seriously the things you tell us in your word. We recognize, Lord, that in the early church, there were some things that were happening largely based on just their love for Christ and into how it just impacted their lives. Lord, I would pray that for all of us as we head into this busy week and into a busy holiday season that we would, Lord, not neglect these attitudes in our own lives. And Lord, even as we head into a time where more people in the community are thinking about holiday stuff and Christmas and maybe, Lord, uh, when people are a little more sensitive to talk about spiritual things, may what you've done in our hearts just pour out of us and that they would see the authenticity of a life changed by Jesus. So help us, Lord, to do that. And, and Lord, if you would so will, would you work in our church here? Would you stir us all in a way that allow your name to be glorified and proclaimed all throughout the Adirondacks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.